New on Curiosity Stream, how do you connect a 16th century potato to limitless energy production? Could Napoleon's toothpick have a direct link to a machine that predicts the future? And how can a 1700s conch shell chart a course to humans connecting their brains to the internet? James Burke's visionary series Connections returns for a new generation. Experience all new Connections with monthly annual and bundled plans. Find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. UFC Fight Night, we have Edson Barbosa taking on Sadiq Yusuf in the main event this weekend, and I'm going to be breaking down everything that you guys need to know to make some money this weekend. So we're going to be looking at this from a DraftKings Classic Contest perspective. We're going to be talking about DraftKings Rainmakers, who sponsor our show. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, click on the link below. You get a totally free starters pack for PGA or for NFL or for both, if you guys so choose. And what you're going to get there is a set of cards you could use to build lineups immediately they are totally free we could win actual cash prizes with them and then also we'll talk about some bets on the way as well the only thing i ask of you guys is to do me a favor like the video subscribe to the youtube channel i appreciate the support it helps keep the content free here and uh, also quick little review of last week which went really well for me from a betting perspective in particular because we ended up hitting on that joe pfeiffer to win by submission so had that at plus 550 I believe was the line last week, but then also had him to win by submission one of the first two rounds. That was a long odds prop, had him to win by second round submission. That was 33 to one. So uh, overall ended up being a really profitable slate. Could have really cleaned up in DFS as well. I came in second in one of the classic, uh, or sorry, second one of the Rainmakers core contest. And then in the main slate, I had pretty much all of the nuts, but unfortunately I had like 90% exposure to the Kutalaba fight, which... Kudalaba, Linz, Felipe Linz ends up pulling out. It's like the 16th time. Not, not even joking. If you guys go ahead and look at the topology page of Felipe Linz, it's like the 16th time he's pulled out of a fight. So uh, super annoyed from that because there was nothing we really could have done about it. But overall, can't complain about a profitable slate. The things that we were able to control ended up going my way last week. So that was nice. And now we're going to be breaking down another slate here. Starting with the main event, Sadiq Yusuf taking on Edson Barbosa and... Listen, if Edson Barbosa was in his prime, I would be picking him to win this fight. But the problem is that Barbosa is definitely on the back end of his career now. He is 37 years old. We've got Sadiq Yusuf on the other side of the fight is 30 years old. So youth is on his side. We've all seen a pretty long layoff for Yusuf. He hasn't fought in a year. I do expect him to make pretty big improvements. He's a prospect that I'm relatively high on. He's not somebody who I view as like a future championship contender or anything like that. But... We have seen some pretty good showings out of Sadiq Yusuf since coming into the UFC. We saw him recently have a win over Andre Feely, looking at his last four fights, that is. And this is a loss that's actually aged pretty well. He had a really competitive fight against Arnold Allen. Probably the decider in that fight was that Arnold Allen ended up dropping him. If it was not for Yusuf getting dropped, there was an argument to be made that he won that fight. And if that was the case, that really would have set him on a great path, but... Uh, ends up losing that fight, but in a relatively close decision. 
uh, beats Alex Caceres. This was a fight that really wasn't the best showing for Sadiq Yusuf, probably more competitive with Caceres than it should have been. And then he just easily disposed of Don Shane. It's about 30 seconds, just goes in, sh- uh, just gets into a clinch situation, ends up wrapping up the neck, and then gets a submission 30 seconds into the fight. That's the last time we saw him fight, and it was a year ago. It's now a long layoff. I expect him to be showing some improvements here against Edson Barbosa. And Sadiq Yusuf has the kind of style that poses problems for Edson Barbosa. Typically, we see Barbosa struggle with forward pressure, especially when people are implementing a wrestling and gap and grappling game plan. While I don't really expect too much of that from Yusuf, he only lands 0.18 takedowns per 15 minutes. I do expect him to be marching forward. I do expect him to be pressuring Barbosa to really take away his space. And that's where Barbosa kind of starts to struggle. And also, his durability is very suspect. At this point in his career, we've seen Edson Barbosa finished a number of times, and that is what I expect to happen in this fight. I'm not going to totally write off Barbosa just because of the fact that he is so dangerous. And we know he has the one-shot KO type power. He could do it with his hands. He could do it with his feet, kicks. So I'm going to be picking Yusuf to win. I'm going to be picking him to win by third-round knockout. I'm going to be heavily leaning towards him for DraftKings purposes. This is a great main event to target. I do expect to finish no matter who wins. So while my exposure is going to be leaning more towards Yusuf, I do think it's worth taking some shots on Barbosa as an underdog as well. My exposure is probably going to be something like 70-30 in favor of Sadiq Yusuf as far as our current ownership projections over at Stochastic.com, which if you guys want access to, you click on the link below to sign up for an MMA subscription. We have Yusuf projected for 42% ownership, and then we've got Edson Barbosa at 32%. So uh, Yusuf expect to be a little bit more popular. I expect to be overweight to the field on Yusuf, and then about even to slightly underweight to the field here on Edson Barbosa. Talked about how often he's been hurt and finished in fights. This is a terrible look for Barbosa. He did get knocked down on the feet in a fight against Bryce Mitchell. He got knocked down twice and finished by Giga Shikadze. We also saw him get knocked out by Justin Gaethje. He got knocked out by Kevin Lee. Uh, we also saw him, but this was a uh, TKO though, so it was... Uh, if I remember correctly, it was a fight where Edson Barbosa was just having it put on him by Kevin Lee. And then eventually the ref just steps in, stops the fight there. But it was an absolutely one-sided ass beating. Got finished by Tony Ferguson. That was also just due to pressure and getting submitted. Gets submitted by Donald Cerrone. So a number of times we've seen Barbosa finish. I think it happens again this weekend. Moving on to the co-main event, Jennifer Maya against Vivian Araujo. And... Not a fight I love for DraftKings purposes. You've got a fighter here in Jennifer Maya who is not super friendly for DFS purposes. She lands four and a half significant strikes per minute. She absorbs more than she lands. She hardly ever goes for takedowns. So if I'm just trying to figure out which side I'm going to be playing in DFS, the answer is going to be neither. But if I had to play a side, I would go towards Araujo just because I don't think there's a lot of finishing equity with Jennifer Maya, which is probably what she needs to be in the optimal lineup in this fight. Where if Araujo wins, at the very least, she is cheap enough at $7,700, where at least that like 7K price range somewhere, mid-7Ks, if she wins on a shorter slate, especially because we had a fight get canceled, the Edgar Charez fight, that's something where you could see Araujo just by winning. An underdog winning could be enough to land the optimal line. But overall, a fight I have very little interest in. Not going to be playing much of it in my lineups and don't have to play it for Rainmakers contest either. Another fight that I don't really love for DFS, although I've really liked for real-life purposes, Jonathan Martinez against Adrian Yanez. And if we look at these two fighters, it's going to be standing up on the feet for the majority of the fight. We have never seen Yanez land a takedown in his UFC career. Zero. 
We've seen Jonathan Martinez lands 0.46 takedowns per 15 minutes. So he's not somebody we really look to ever wrestle offensively. So then you've got a fight that plays out on the feet between two guys that are fairly high output strikers. 6.75 significant strikes for Yanez. 4.63 for Jonathan Martinez, just based on the fact that it's priced in the mid-range, 8,000 for Martinez, 8,200 for Yanez. I do think that it's something that we could make a case for playing each of them just because of the price points. If none of the cheap underdogs win, it could be really important to get that mid-range winner into our lineups. I'm going to pick Yanez to win because of the higher output. I do think people are a little bit lower on him because he got starched in his last fight against Rob Font, but I mean, Font's a pretty big step up in competition. I think Rob Font would starch Jonathan Martinez as well. So going to be picking Yanez to win. We consider that he lands 6.75 significant strikes per minute to 4.63 for Jonathan Martinez. He's just the much busier fighter of the two. And you could also make a case, and I'm strongly considering it, probably going to pull the trigger. Yanez on the money line. It's a pick em fight, minus 110 on both sides. With that being the case of me picking Yanez to win, I do think he probably wins this fight at like a 60 or so percent clip. So I think he's worth betting at minus 110. Haven't placed the bet yet, but I'm going to be doing that uh, sometime today, I'm recording this on Friday, recording it shortly after weigh-ins, and I was waiting until weigh-ins to really get more information on the card, and I'm uh, going to start placing my bets right after I finish recording this video. Next fight, this is another one that I'm going to be betting, Andre Petrovsky against Michelle Pereira, and there's so much line movement going towards Pereira in this spot, and I don't really understand why the market is as heavy on Pereira as they are, because He's moving up a weight class. He's had a massive size advantage at 170. Part of it's because he hardly ever makes weight at 170. When he does, he's just massive for the weight class. Even in this fight, you know, you look at the size difference between him and Petrovsky. Petrovsky, who in his own right is a pretty big 185 pounder, six feet tall, 73 inch reach. Michelle Pereira, nearly the exact same dimension, 6'1, 73 inch reach. So size should be about equal. People bring up that Petrovsky is bad cardio. You know who else is shit cardio? Michelle Pereira. We've seen Pereira really gas, especially when he's been in situations where he's been pressured to wrestle. So if you look at the fight that he had against Tristan Connolly, for instance, I know that it's Pereira who's credited with two takedowns, none for Connolly, but Connolly was able to reverse position in that fight. He was able to hold top control, and he's able to just wear down Pereira. Pereira does fight a little bit smarter than he did when he was earlier on in his UFC career. He's not breakdancing coming into the octagon. He's not doing as many backflips in the middle of the fight, which... Basically, these antics would have Pereira gassed out by the end of the first round because he would basically dance and do like a whole gymnastics routine before getting into the octagon. It's a point where he would just be totally gassed by the time the fight started. He doesn't do all that nonsense as much anymore. He's a little bit more reined in, but still he slows down in the later stages of his fight. And while Petrovsky also at times slows down, he looked not all that great in his last fight up against Gerald Mearshart, where it was a split decision. Petrovsky was just throwing nothing but haymakers in the early going of that fight and tired himself out. He is still somebody who often fights through that fatigue. He landed two takedowns, ended a knockdown against Mearshart, landed eight takedowns against Wellington Terman, landed four takedowns against Huya Zong. I, I'm not. I'm going to pretend the Michael Gilmore fight doesn't exist because that's a meme fight. It, it tells us nothing. Michael Gilmore does not belong anywhere near the UFC, but still. We saw Petrovsky at least fight into the third round in that fight. And I do feel slightly better about his cardio than Petrovsky. Then I do feel slightly better about Petrovsky's cardio than I do about Pereira's in the later stages of this fight. And when you just look at how wide the odds are at this point, we've got Pereira anywhere from like a minus 210 to minus 220 favorite. You could bet 
on Petrovsky, anywhere from plus 170 to plus 180 is the best available number. And a fight that I think is very close to 50-50, I'm going to be betting Petrovsky because I think there's a lot of line value there. And then as far as DFS goes, Petrovsky is the higher upside as well because I think Pereira to reach a ceiling is pretty reliant on an early finish, whereas Petrovsky I think could finish Pereira. I also think Petrovsky in the decision could end up scoring really well via the takedown. So I'm picking Petrovsky to win. And then I also like him as a pretty big underdog on the money line. One of my favorite cheap plays for DFS purposes. He's also very affordable in Rainmakers if you guys are looking for cheaper players to, uh, or cheaper fighters to buy on the secondary market. One of the things that uh, was giving me a little bit of concern when I was about to record this this video earlier is I wasn't sure if this fight was going to happen. Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Simon, Christian Rodriguez, who I don't know how he's still fighting at this weight class. He never miss, He never makes weight. He's frequently missing weight. So uh, we saw him come in 140 on the scales for a fight at 135 pounds. He ended up getting fined 20% of his purse. Big ups to Cameron Simon for taking the fight. But Christian Rodriguez, like how many times can you miss weight and continue to fight at this weight class? So I expect Christian Rodriguez to be moving up to 145 after this fight. And I think this is a very, very competitive fight. As far as the weight miss goes, I mean, I don't really know exactly what to make of it other than Rodriguez misses weight for pretty much all of his fights, so it's kind of standard course of action for him. If you look at his output, it's very low. Rodriguez only lands 2.89 significant strikes per minute, 0.92 takedowns per 15 minutes, and then Simon on his side, why I'm picking him to win while he's an underdog, is just so much more output on the Simon side. What Rodriguez is going to look to do is land takedowns. He's going to look to control Simon. And at least from what we've seen out of Cameron Simon, he doesn't have the best takedown defense. He gets taken down pretty frequently. He only has a 41% takedown defense, which is why I think we're seeing more of the public betting Christian Rodriguez in this fight. But Simon typically pops up pretty quickly after being taken down. And I do wonder... With Christian Rodriguez, how is his cardio going to hold up when somebody's really putting a pace on him? Because, like we said, he just doesn't fight at a very high pace. The high pace, 2.89 significant strikes land per minute, less than a takedown per 15 minutes. So I do expect him to land takedowns early. What happens when Simon gets up? What happens when they're on the feet and Simon's landing, you know, two significant strikes for every one that Christian Rodriguez lands? So pretty decent fight to target in the mid-range. If Rodriguez wins, it's going to have to come via takedowns and control time, which typically scores well on DK. If Simon wins, he typically always scores well in his wins because of the amount of output that he fights with. So picking Simon to win, both sides make make sense for both uh, classic contests and for Rainmakers contests. I'm also probably going to end up betting Simon on the money line. I'm just waiting a little bit longer because the public continues to bet the Rodriguez. And I'm against the way that the majority of people are betting this card in general. There's a lot of line movement that I just disagree with. And one of the spots is going to be Simon plus 140 right now. I'm hoping I get like a plus 145 or plus 150 price point because that line has continually grown over the course of the week. It initially opened with Rodriguez being, at one point Rodriguez was an underdog. Let's see. At one point, Rodriguez was not quite an underdog, but minus 115, where it was a pick on both sides. So uh, yeah, going to pick Simon to win. Also like betting him on the money line at pretty good plus money odds. TJ Brown against Darren Elkins. This is a great fight to target because all Darren Elkins fights are batshit crazy. He's somebody who, no matter how old he gets, he takes an, an extremely high amount of damage in his fights. And it never really seems to slow him down. Eventually, it's going to because how many times can you get knocked out and how many times can you get hurt on the feet and it not impact your career? But hey, 
Darren Elkins is a grinder. When he wins, he scores well on DraftKings. And TJ Brown lands a lot of takedowns in this fight, which is why I'm interested in this fight. 3.53 takedowns landed per 15 minutes for TJ Brown. 2.73 takedowns per 15 minutes landed for Darren Elkins. And neither of these guys are good takedown defense. 58% on the Elkins side, 36% on the TJ Brown side. I'm leaning towards TJ Brown because of the age difference and all of the mileage that's on Darren Elkins at this point. Darren Elkins is 39 years old, whereas we have the younger fighter at 33 in TJ Brown. Not that he's necessarily young, but he's young compared to Darren Elkins. So I expect this to be a wild fight. I think it's going to be a fight of the night contender type fight. Weird stuff is going to happen. There's going to be a lot of takedowns. There's going to be a lot of scrambles. It's going to be sloppy. I think the winner scores well. Picking TJ Brown to win, but I think both sides of this fight make sense, whether you're playing classic contests, Rainmakers, all formats. I think this is a really good fight to target. Next fight, another one that I don't have all that much interest in, Tynara Lisboa against Ravina Oliveira. And this is a fight here where Oliveira, we don't have very much information on. She only has nine career professional fights, and almost all of them have come against fighters on the regional scene that had no real track record of performance themselves. And then as for Lisboa, also very green in her career, six and two as a professional. She does have UFC experience. She won her debut against Jessica Rose Clark, but here's the issue. She did almost nothing in that fight. Might as well pull it up. It's the only fight we have in the UFC for either of these fighters. So Lisboa ends up getting a third round finish, but she only landed one takedown. She lands 42 significant strikes over the course of a fight that nearly went the distance ended at four minutes and 20 seconds into the third round. So, you know, not that much time left in the fight. She gets the finish, but, you know, 42 significant strikes, one takedown landed. She's super expensive for DFS purposes. She is $9,400, still projected for north of 30% ownership. So with that in mind, Lisboa, not somebody I'm really looking to play in $9,400. If she was going to be contrarian, I can make a case for her, but now we have Terrence McKinney on the card. We have Sadiq Youssef as a payup option. We have TJ Brown as a payup option. Just other spots I prefer to go to. So not a fight that I really have all that much interest in. If I had to play a side of the fight, I guess I would go with Oliveira just because she's cheaper. And that's pretty much the only reason I'd be going with. Oliveira is cheaper. She's projected for low ownership, right around 10%. But overall fight that I don't think we need to be targeting this weekend. Next fight, and this is one that we do definitely need to target, Terrence McKinney against Brendan Marot. And, I mean, McKinney fights always tend to score well for DraftKings purposes. There is not a whole lot of cardio that Terrence McKinney has. If you look at the betting odds for this fight, it is minus 330 to finish in under one and a half rounds. So one thing that is very important when I just talked about why I don't really like Lisboa as a payup option, you could get Terrence McKinney for $100 more with infinite more finishing equity. So Terrence McKinney is my favorite payup option on the entire slate. If you want to take shots on Marote in GPPs as a dart throw, I don't hate it just because there's so much variance to McKinney fights based on the fact that he only has a few minutes of cardio. But I think the most likely scenario here is that McKinney comes out hot early, overwhelms Marote, kind of like what we saw in McKinney's last fight where he got the quick finish against Mike Breeden, ended up finishing the fight in a minute and 25 seconds. McKinney just marched forward. Didn't even really need to land takedowns against Mike Breeden. He was just able to put a pace on him on the feet, and Breeden wilted in a minute. I think we could see something similar happen against Marot here. So McKinney in the first round is going to be my pick to win. Great payup option. Great fight to target on DraftKings for this weekend. few fights left to talk about. This one, Irina Alexeva against Melissa Dixon. And we have uh, Alexeva, whose actual nickname is Russian Ronda, even on the UFC website. 
And uh, another really messy fight because Alex Seva is 5-1 and one as a professional. Melissa Dixon, 5-0. and oh. We have very, very little information on each of these fighters. Alex Seva, in her UFC debut, went out and fought Stephanie Edgar and looked pretty decent in that fight. I thought she was doing the better work on the feet. And then eventually these two got into a scramble and Alex Seva was able to lock in a knee bar against Edgar and just destroyed her knee where Edgar was just fucked. Her knee, she had to... I can't remember. I think she tore her knee even before she ended up tapping there. So Alex Ava got her into a compromised position, ends up finishing Edgar. And this is a fight where there's so little information on each of these two fighters, other than the fact that what we've seen out of Alex Ava, she fights like a maniac. High output on the feet. She's willing to engage in grappling positions. She's willing to go for takedowns as well. So I think her fight should score well. And just because this is a women's MMA fight, I think the field might be too low on this spot where we have Alex Seva at $7,600. She's a live underdog with finishing equity. And then Dixon on the other side at $8,600. She's only projected for 22% ownership on a small slate. That's a pretty good contrarian play because if Alex Seva isn't able to get the finish early, we don't know exactly what she's going to look like in the later rounds. Melissa Dixon, in her own right, she's a finisher who is able to do some damage once she gets into top position. So I'm going to pick... Dixon to win, but I think this is a really sneaky fight to target that I don't really think the field is going to be on in the way that they should. Couple of fights left here: Chris Gutierrez against Alatang Hai Lee, and uh, this is a fight on short notice. Chris Gutierrez was supposed to fight last week. Fight falls through, gets added to this weekend's card. Alatang Hai Lee actually opened as a minus two hundred favorite, and the line very quickly flipped to the point where we now have Gutierrez priced as a minus three. 100 favorite at the time I'm recording. So there's actually been a lot of line movement here because, like I said, the fight initially opens. We got Alatang Haile as close to a minus 200 favorite. Then the line flips to the point where Chris Gutierrez grows to a minus 450 favorite. And now it's been bet in the other direction to where it's settled right around minus 300 for Chris Gutierrez, which I think is about a fair line. I'm going to pick Gutierrez to win. But I do think that Alatang Haile is probably the slightly better DFS option just because We don't really see a lot of finishes out of Chris Gutierrez. He doesn't fight at a super high pace, landing 4.75 significant strikes per minute. He doesn't land takedowns either. Whereas I do think there's a chance that Alatang Haile could land takedowns in this fight. He lands 1.78 takedowns per 15 minutes. And we've seen Chris Gutierrez struggle at times when he's had his back on the mat. So if you guys remember the fight against Cody Durden, which ended in a draw, Gutierrez looked great in the early going of that fight. And then you get into the later rounds where Cody Durden was able to ground Gutierrez. He was able to land some ground and pound. He's able to control him for an entire round, gets himself a 10-8 round. As a result, the fight ends up being a draw. We haven't seen a whole lot of Chris Gutierrez face somebody who's wrestling offensively against him. So picking him to win, I think he should win the striking exchanges. But if Alatang Haley could land takedowns, kind of a sneaky tournament play, and it's $7,200 projected for low ownership, that's my preferred play for DraftKings purposes. Gutierrez, the, por- the problem I have with him, even though I'm picking him to win, not a lot of finishing equity, and then also not a lot of output. So his path to victory is likely going to be a decision win, and based on his output, probably doesn't score all that well on DK. Ashley Yoder against Emily Ducati. Uh, Another fight that I don't love targeting for DraftKings. If you have Rainmaker's cards of Ducati, she's a fairly safe win. She's a minus 400 favorite. So from that standpoint, you could plug her in there. But $9,300 on DraftKings, just no thanks. 
Ashley Yoder can't play her either because she's not somebody who I consider to be UFC caliber talent. I think there's going to be a massive striking advantage for Dakota in this spot. And I don't know that Yoder's going to be able to land takedowns. She doesn't get super aggressive with the takedowns, landing 1.2 per 15 minutes. And Ducati's shown a 90% takedown defense so far in the UFC. She lands 6.64 significant strikes per minute to 3.08 for Yoder. I expect Ducati to win. I expect it to go to the judges' scorecards. Probably isn't going to score all that well on DraftKings. So not a fight that I'm really looking to target. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you very much for watching. If you've not done yet, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments for myself, leave them below in the description box or hit me up on Twitter at DFS. I can't wait for next week for next weekend's card. It's it's funny because I was uh, at first like pretty excited to break down this card earlier in the week. And then we had everything fall apart for the pay-per-view next week. And then all of a sudden we've got the Volk Makachev rematch. We've got the co-main event between Usman and Shemaev. So uh, next week, tune in because I'm really excited to break that one down, guys. So I'll see you all then. It's Chevy truck season. And with the Chevy Silverado, there's no such thing as an uphill battle. With the Chevy Silverado, you can take on the mountains or you can move them. Because with impressive towing capability, an available 13.4-inch diagonal touchscreen, and a choice of powerful engines to pick from, whatever your mountain, there's a Silverado with the capability you need. Click to learn more. Find new roads at your local Chevy dealer. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.